Hello and welcome back to Patient World. Today we have with us our special guest, Dr. David Scherer. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you so much. It's great to be here. Well, let's get started with having you tell the uh, audience all about yourself. Well, uh, I'm a native of Washington, D.C., and I grew up in Bethesda, Maryland, and um, I went to college at Emory University in Atlanta, and then I did my medical training at Boston University, um, where I um, received a very wide and um, interesting medical education. And then after an internship in Baltimore, I did an anesthesia residency at the University of Miami. And since then, uh, after retiring from anesthesia practice, I have been a writer, a blogger, and uh, an author of six books. And my seventh book is coming out this spring wow. uh, on a topic that I think is very important, and that is about how diet and the way we use our bodies and our exposure to certain chemicals and elements in our environment can be very deleterious to our health. So I have a very strong commitment to improving health among people, much like yourself. And so I'm kind of on a crusade to improve the lives of people through small, gradual, and smart measures they can do easily. I think that's awesome, and I personally love it. I um, watched a documentary about 20 years ago about how a major firm was using a carcinogen in um, some feed for cattle, and everything went to court, and the judge said that this, um, the news organization that should have reported it um, did not have an obligation to tell the public the truth. The reporters did the research and said, look, this is what's being done, and they got fired, and they sued, and they lost because the judge did not feel that the news outlet was obligated to tell the truth. And it was at that point I went out and I, I got a community garden. I started doing um, my own gardening. You probably remember the show Green Acres. I used to be up yeah. there with my little uh, right. Right. <laughs> singing Green Acres, you know, and to this day yeah. I still love Green Acres. But I am completely with you. People don't realize how many chemicals that we're exposed to and how those chemicals impact us. And if they did, they would make better decisions. And so I am ecstatic um, that you're out there telling people about this. So what, what sorts of things do you want to, to share today? Well, you know, the, the fact that you mentioned the carcinogen story in the feed reminds me very much of a piece of research I did yesterday for my book. And did you know in 1984, Anne, uh, the major soft drink manufacturers switched from using sucrose as a sweetener to um, high fructose corn syrup? And what they found is that they saved money on that. But what they didn't know at the time, but what we know now is that use of high fructose corn syrup has helped to fuel an obesity crisis. And not only that, more seriously, liver disease in children and in adults known as non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. Now, there is a direct correlation between the use of high fructose corn syrup as a sweetener 
and the development of this very devastating liver disease in children and adults. And this is a perfect example how the public in America and all over the world is exposed to chemicals and agents that they don't even realize. And I don't want to be too dramatic, too dramatic about this, but in essence, they're being poisoned by it. And You're not so, being dramatic. It's, it's the truth. Yes, right. So because of a company wanting to save money on their production costs and improve, improve their bottom line, people who don't know and who are not educated are suffering. And children, I find this is a, I use the word despicable because it's despicable that companies would profit at the expense of children. So that's a perfect. That's a perfect example of what you reminded me of about how there are so many things we are doing to ourselves as individuals and as a society that we don't even know about. And of course, you shouldn't know about it because number one, you're not a doctor, most of you. Number two, you're not a nutritionist. So how are you supposed to know? How are you supposed to be educated about the harm that is occurring to you and your family and your friends, your children, because of monetary interests and because of expediency. Now, if you live in America, you know that if you watch a sporting event or the nightly news, what you find is sporting events are completely dominated by advertising from fast food and food that is extremely unhealthy for you. Anyone who's watched the NFL or Major League Baseball or hockey or any college game knows that 90% of the advertisements are about food that I have to say is slowly killing you. Number two, we are spreading our products all over the world so that I like to say we will never have to fight a war with China because China is killing themselves. How is China killing themselves? Diabetes is running rampant in China. It's estimated that 10% of the population in China has diabetes. And the air quality and the cigarette smoking in China is bringing that great world power down to the point where I don't think we're ever going to have to fight a war with China because there won't be any people left. So the point I'm trying to make is that there are forces that most people don't even understand and and i say they don't understand because again why should they understand they're not doctors that are working their everyday lives that lead them down a path of obesity metabolic syndrome cardiovascular disease cancer joint disease gastrointestinal disease depression autoimmune disease the list goes on and on and on. And we wonder why so many people in our society are on so many medications and are so concerned about health care. Because what's happening in truth is there is an addictive nature to the food that is being produced by the fast food companies. It's been proven in science. It is an addiction. And the way this addiction occurs is there is physical and biochemical damage in the hypothalamus, in the brain, that dictates the hunger response. 
And what you find is there's an imbalance of two hormones, ghrelin and leptin. Ghrelin makes you say, I'm hungry. I want something to eat. Leptin tells you, I'm full. I'm done. And what they have found at the University of Liverpool and other centers in the world is leptin stops working because the saturated fat, the refined carbohydrate, the sugar and the salt in processed food, which by the way, makes up 58% of the American diet. Almost 60% of the American diet is made of ultra processed food. Now, what do I mean by ultra processed food? The easy way to think about ultra processed food is the more ingredients you find on a box or can of food, the more ingredients you can't pronounce, and the more ingredients you don't recognize, that's a good indicator that you're eating highly processed food. Now, highly processed food has been a relatively recent phenomenon in the West and in the world because it came out of a movement of food preservation, a days like canning food, salting food, things like that. Virtually every food we eat is to some degree processed. Even an apple might be processed because they put material on it to make it shiny. So the point I'm trying to say is people do not understand that most of their illnesses, most of their maladies, most of their misery, most of their expenses, most of their worry about health care, most of their concern about their loved ones who's sick in the hospital is happening because of our habits. And if we can change our habits, people like you, people like myself, people who see a moral obligation to change people's habits, we will do a lot to save this country a lot of misery and a lot of money. I agree. I recently read about, I think it was the Commonwealth Fund, uh, did a study that if you look at all of the rich nations in the world, not only do we spend the most money, we have the worst outcomes. Yes. And so people say, well, you get what you pay for. No. No. We end up spending a ton of money. Yes. And a lot of it is self-induced. A couple of things, going back to fatty liver disease, when you started talking about that, my mind went back to a hospital room I was in. I spent most of my career as a hospital specialist um, with a patient who had bad liver disease, um, not alcoholic fatty liver disease. I had so many patients in the hospital who had this condition and people were just oblivious you know, to this and what they're doing. Um, and also as far as what we're doing, um, our outcomes. It reminds me of how a person may come to the hospital. I've had many people come to the hospital. They had this condition. They were taking this medicine and this medicine caused this side effect. So they took this medicine. It's this cycle. And it's horrible. So it's horrible. You, you eat all of these horrific things that you don't know are harming you, and then you end up spending a ton of money on the doctor, a right. ton of money on medicine. It's like this downhill spiral. And Absolutely. it's craziness. And, it, and the irony is it doesn't have to happen, but the challenge is it is so 
deeply ingrained in our socialization in the United States and in the world. It's so deeply ingrained that to extricate ourselves from this situation is going to take tremendous effort. Now, that doesn't mean people like you and myself and others have to give up. What we have to do is spread the message. We have to use evidence-based science to communicate to people who don't understand in the simplest terms what they're doing to themselves every time they eat fast food, processed food, don't exercise 40 minutes a day, don't be mindful of their condition in the world through whatever spirituality or whatever belief system they have. And of course, social isolation has become a very big problem in light of the COVID epidemic. And study after study, it doesn't matter where you look, confirms these scientifically proven concepts of oxidative stress, which means that the food we eat and the behaviors that we do are forming oxygen radicals in our system that influ influence inflammation and give us a propensity to develop cancers and chronic autoimmune diseases. The evidence is so terrifying that that's the reason I'm writing this book that will come out in the spring to tell the average person on the street, your life does not have to be this way. You're being fooled, okay? A lot of people are making a lot of money off of you, okay? The food industry and the pharmaceutical industry are making, actually, we're talking trillions of dollars. We're not talking billions of dollars. Not we're not talking at all. Right. And when you look at the projections for this trajectory, the combined annual growth rate of the pharmaceutical industry and the ultra processed food industry in lockstep is just going up and up and up. It's just going up. And people's health is going down and down and down. So you don't have to be a scientist to understand what's happening behind the scenes. You just have to be informed. And so right. I just feel that we as doctors have a moral obligation to speak the truth. Agreed, agreed. And something, it may be difficult to completely turn things around overnight, but just small steps. Like instead of getting the French fries at the fast food restaurant, go to the store and get the, the, the you know, you can get some organic um, um, potatoes that are in the freezer section that have already been sliced up. Yeah. Spray a little olive oil in them, put them in the oven or an air fryer. Right. It's very good, but it's nowhere right. near yeah. uh, as, as dangerous to you. When I was reading the other day, you were talking about oxidation. You're reading about how polyphenols, a substance, um, can impact the bad cholesterol, the LDL cholesterol, Yes. And not only kind of stabilize the lining of the blood vessels, but also impact how LDL, the bad cholesterol, is oxidized, which makes it so toxic to us. And right. so just changing our diet, like um, dark chocolate, a lot of people may think that, oh, my gosh, that's not good for you. If you buy some organic dark chocolate at Amazon other places, maybe 30 calories in a spoon. A spoonful, you know, the things you can do to sweeten it, monk fruit, organic stevia, right. 
put right. it in some organic milk or whatever, and you have a very tasty treat. I, I add that to my coffee every day. But right. dark chocolate contains polyphenols. So there, if, if you know what you can do differently, you take baby steps over time, you can do these things, and it's not only vital for the adults, but we are raising children. Do the children grow up continuing to expose themselves to these toxic substances that will cause them to suffer unnecessarily and die prematurely? Or will the parents take the initiative to learn what they need to learn so they can raise their kids to understand, do this, not that? So I absolutely love what you're doing. Absolutely. Well, it's funny you mentioned children because I have personal backstory to my uh, zealotry about this topic. My, my sister died when she was 27 of diabetes. My father was an endocrinologist and he had diabetes. Uh, when I was about 15 years old, I was a very big kid and I behaved like most other kids. I ate garbage. I drank soda. I ate uh, chain pizza chain brand pizza. And I went to the doctor one day and he said, uh, let's draw some blood tests on you. I was 15 years old. He did. He got the test back. He said, David, um, first of all, you're about 15 pounds overweight. Second of all, your cholesterol is high. Third, your bad cholesterol is bad. And you're just 15 years old. So what I want you to do is I want you to throw the soda out into the garbage and I want you to start eating differently. And he put the fear of God into me. He scared me. I was 15. And did you know when they did autopsies of Vietnam soldiers and Korean War soldiers who were in their late teens and early 20s, a significant portion of them were found to have coronary artery disease. We're talking yeah. about men who were 19 and 20 years old. So when I threw the soda out and ate differently and lost about 15 pounds, we repeated my blood test. Everything had returned to normal, completely normal. And that taught me a lesson early on that I had a certain responsibility to myself to take care of the issue. Now, I'm not going to point a finger of blame at anybody. I'm not here to shame anybody. I'm not here to denigrate anybody. But there is a certain degree of personal responsibility each of us must exercise in order to make things better for us and for everybody else. And so, you know, this new wave and of uh, the medications used injectably to form weight loss, right? In some cases, in people who have morbid obesity, who have tried everything, they've tried diet, exercise, everything, I can see a utility for that medication to help these people. And a recent study from the New England Journal of Medicine in December 14th of 2023 showed that there was cardiovascular benefit to a subset of overweight patients who use these medicines. However, what I'm saying to the, the country and the world is, if you're 15, 20 pounds overweight, this approach is exactly the wrong approach to take. Why is it the wrong approach? Number one, we do not know the long-term consequences of these medicines. That's number one. Number two, these medicines are already showing to have significant side effects, such as stomach paralysis, 
uh, complications during anesthesia because patients' stomachs are full and they aspirate material in their lungs. Uh, there have been some uh, reports of suicidal ideation in use of these drugs. The point I'm trying to make is in America, we're looking for the quick fix. We're always yeah. looking for the quick fix. And whereas you may look better in a few weeks on medicine, it's just not the way to go because first of all, they've shown that once you get off that medicine, once you start, the weight comes right back on. So now you've hooked yourself on a lifetime of medication at about $1,200 a month, okay? not covered by many insurance plans. My point is, why not make behavioral changes instead of resorting to drugs that you don't know the long-term effects of and you don't know the interactions and you don't know the consequences of taking these medications? Did you know, Anne, that one in five Americans take five or more prescription medications? And about 85% of American adults take about one, take one prescription medication. That's not surprising. So it's it's we, not. We have the highest level of, America has the highest level of people with multiple chronic diseases Absolutely. among any rich nation. Absolutely. And our outcomes are poorer, even though we throw more money at healthcare than any other country, many of them combined. Did you know during yes. the COVID, did you know during the COVID epidemic, the United States had the worst death rate and rate among minority people than anywhere else in the world? And they have it? it is. Do you know one of the nations who had the lowest death rate from COVID in in the world at that time? It was Vietnam. You say to yourself, our old enemy, Vietnam, why would Vietnam have such a low death rate from COVID as compared to the wealthy United States who throws trillions of dollars at healthcare? The answer was very simple. The overweight obesity rate in Vietnam is about 18%. In the United States, it's approaching 80%. This is not to put obese people down. This is to put scientific evidence to the forefront that things don't have to be this way. And, you know, this talk we're having right here, it should basically be on the evening news. It should be on 60 Minutes. It should be on NPR. It should be everywhere because you and I are brave enough to speak frankly and respectfully about this problem. And because of that, maybe our message will reach a few people. Well, it's one person at a time. I know that, you know, when I grew up, I grew up with a cousin. She ate half of what I ate. And she was much bigger than I. And so it's not always, you know, just what you eat. But over time, she has managed to lose so much weight. She's smaller than I. Uh -huh. And it's a matter of the mindset of what you can do. You may not be able to completely turn the tide. I lost about 20 pounds last year just making some, some changes. And one thing that you mentioned that is profound is, you know, the, the hypothalamus and like the set point in the brain yes. and how some of the foods kind of poison it. And a lot of people are aware of that show The Biggest Losers 
a lot of those people lost a tremendous amount of weight and they gained it back. And what right. people don't understand is that once you start um, damaging, causing toxicity to that part of the brain, your metabolism can drop. And so yeah. you may be eating fewer calories, exercising more, like, oh my gosh, I can't lose the weight, I'm gaining it back. Because your brain is thinking, okay, now she's starving, so I need to flip things to preserve things. And so it's important for parents to know you've got to train your children in such a way that they're not going to damage that part of the brain and just be on a lifelong uphill battle. And also for adults, you may not lose you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds next year. But there's something you can do, even if it's a stepwise progression, do the best you can do. And some people, still after you've done all you can do, medication um, and for some people, surgery will give you a better outcome than doing nothing. But don't jump to those things that have the potential to cause harm before you've already tried the safe steps. So, Oh, I totally I agree, agree with that. With that. I totally agree with that. And, you know, I've served as an as an expert in malpractice cases. And some of the stories I hear uh, about surgeries going wrong and treatments going wrong. It uh, it is unbelievable. And the reason it's happening more and more is we have an overstressed healthcare system. They are projecting that within the next six years, there will be a one hundred and twenty two thousand physician shortage in the United States. At the same time, at the same time, the period between 2020 and 2030, the number of people turning 65 and older will increase by 50%. Now, you don't have to be a mathematician to understand the strain on the already overburdened healthcare system that this is going to create. It's going to be monstrous. I call that projection by the American Association of Medical Colleges are impending medical tsunami. And That's they exactly said it. if you consider the unmet needs of those in certain rural and urban areas, that number could top 180,400 doctors in 10 years. There's no way. And right. so we all have to take personal responsibility. We have to do the things that we need to do to preserve ourselves and our families because we're not going to be able to call and say, hey, doc, I need an appointment. Okay, this is 2000, January of, um, 2034. I have something for you in July. That's not going to help you. It, well, it's, I hear, it's horrifying to think. I hear that story all the time. I hear that story all the time because, uh, you know, you, you call a doctor's office or go to the portal, make an appointment, and it's January. They say, how does July work for you? Mm-hmm. And that's, and that is... That is not an exaggeration. As a matter of fact, you're lucky if you get in by July. And, you know, people are lining up outside the emergency rooms. There aren't enough beds in the hospitals. They're using the emergency room as hospital rooms. And, of course, who gets hit the worst by this? Minorities and poor people. Absolutely. The studies, the studies are completely conclusive that poor people and minorities get hurt the most in these times of healthcare crisis and um, increasing costs because a lot of these 
people don't have the resources to protect themselves. So that's true. So right. the grassroots teaching people, preparing them, helping right. them prepare their children. We have to continue this trajectory because we won't right. impact everybody, but every life that we impact is an important life. You That's have true. so much information, great information. My last question is, tell me the, the chapter of your most recent book that you like the most, that's the most profound, and why? Well, the, the book I'm writing, I think you're talking about, is that right? Well, the, the most recent one that's already um, in print. Oh, well, this book right here. Yeah, I think that one. I think the chapter that's most compelling is about how we are an over-medicated society, how we rely on medicines to clean up the mess that has been made in our lives by the fast food industry, pharmaceutical industry, and ourselves. Now, I'm not here to bash the pharmaceutical industry because the pharmaceutical industry has made medications that save millions of lives. Yes. The pharmaceutical industry has made COVID-19 vaccinations. They've made Paxlovid. They've made chemotherapy drugs. They've made, they've made lives better for billions of people. Let's be honest. But the need for medication wouldn't be there so much if we took better care of ourselves. So if you, if you want to go label me as, oh, that guy's just a Marxist left-wing nutjob who wants to bash the pharmacy and the food industry, no, I'm just a doctor who looks at the evidence and looks at society and tells you what other scientists and physicians who study this as their life work are saying. That's what I'm saying. So I, I think that you need to be, as a physician and a communicator, honest about what's going on. And, and so I think the fact that we are over-medicated is a reflection of the illness in society. Agreed. Could you hold your book up again, please? Yes. Yeah, so um, this came out in 2021, and um, I we'll wrote... Move it this... over a little bit so they can see the full part. Perfect. But your doctor won't tell you. Right. Okay. And Great. And so um, I wrote that because it encompasses a lot of what I've talked about today, the fact that there's so many, pe so many pieces of information patients, they don't even know what they don't know. They don't... Mm -hmm. There, exactly. there are things you there are things you don't know, and there are things you don't even know you don't know because you're not a doctor. How are you supposed to know, right? All you can see is what you see on television and on the radio and on the web. So there's so much misinformation out there and disinformation. What you and I are talking about is scientifically proven and evi proven evidence based information. That's what we deal in. We deal in science. We deal in the scientific method. We deal in double-blind clinical trials. We deal in the National Institutes of Health, the Center for Disease Control, the New England Journal of Medicine, the British Journal of Medicine, the, the Journal of Bone and Joint Surgery. We deal in peer-reviewed peer -reviewed journals that you and I read every day as part of our, of our medical knowledge. We don't read and pay attention to some crackpot stuff that says, you got to follow this diet or that diet or the other diet and all your problems are going to go away. No, we talk about 
wholesome food. We talk about non-processed food. We talk about exercise. We talk about mindfulness. We talk about spirituality. We talk about respect. That's what we talk about. We don't talk about crackpot stuff. And so because we are talking about mainstream, evidence-based uh, interventions, I, I feel comfortable in what we've talked about today because I'm not going to sit here and, and, and offer up quick fixes like so many people want. I'm going to tell you there's hard work that needs to be done, but the message, is you can, the message is you can do it. You can do it. Very doable. Agree. Okay. You can do it. So how would you want people to reach out to you or how can they get your book? Your well, they can go on Amazon and see the different books I've written. Um, they can also uh, contact re me through my website, drdavidshearer.com. That's D-R-D-A-V-I-D-S-H-E-R-E-R.com. I love to hear from people. I always answer my emails. I love to help people understand how intricate the healthcare system is. And I don't give medical advice because I'm not their doctor, but I present evidence. That's what I do. I present evidence. And you're free to believe the evidence and you're free to discount the evidence. That's up to you. But since most people are not doc doctors or nutritionists or in healthcare, they look to people like us to guide them and hopefully they trust us to give them the information they need to make an informed decision, but that's, that's up to them. I, I can't force people to listen to our message. So. But you can give and you will continue to give invaluable information. Not everybody will listen, but the people who do will see an improvement. They will see so many benefits. And so you can't reach everybody, but you have to try to reach as many as you can. That's right. That's right. And that's why uh, what you're doing with patient net, uh, patientworld.net is so important. That's exactly what you're trying to do. You're trying to use all the tools that we're talking about. So uh, you're to be commended. And um, I will spread the word about your wonderful website. And um, together, if just think if if one percent of the doctors in the United States talked like this, in a respectful and open forum. What kind of change would we see? But, well, the reason is most doctors don't have time. They just don't have the time. That's true. There's so many That's regulations. That's part of why they're leaving. <laughs> People, they're overwhelmed. That's part of why we're not going to have as many doctors because there's just too much. It's yes, too and much. we're also not going to have as many primary care doctors. So 48,000 is the, is the estimate that I remember from that study. Right. So um, scary. So I, I hope this interview will reach a lot of people and that people will take the message to heart and attempt to make small changes because the small changes start building on each other and then they start seeing, seeing big change. Absolutely. Well, yes. Dr. Shira, thank you so very much. It was such a pleasure to have you on the show. Well, it was really great to be here. And um, I think when you get up in the morning, look in the mirror, you should pat yourself on the back. No, I get up. I thank God for another day. It's, it's a blessing go. to wake up each day. Well, let's, well, let's yeah. keep, keep working at this. And thank you again for having me. It was great to be here. Oh, thank you. So you have a blessed day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.